Hello, listeners, and welcome to Big Streaming Pile. I am your host, Fiona L.F. Kelly, and normally we have my other host, Tom Goldthwaite, with me, but today we have a special guest um, because Tom is going to the grocery store and didn't want to watch this movie. So <laughs> uh, would my special guest like to introduce himself? I guess. I, I guess I will. Uh, <laughs> hi, my name is Nick Yurisiva. Uh I killed and replaced Tom for this episode. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. So uh, do you want me to pitch my, or uh, I guess plug my accolades? Who am I? Yeah, now, I mean, I think that most of our listeners listen to all of our ad- other Project Derailed stuff, but pitch your stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah Tell uh, them where they can find you. Sure. Uh, yeah, I'm the creative director of Project Derailed uh, on a whole, but I am also the uh, producer and game master of Tales of the Voidfarer, uh, our spell jammer D&D 5e actual play podcast. And uh, you can also hear me in the first season of Fables Around the Table Curse, where I played Virgil Rookwood. Yeah, that was that was the first actual play that I ran. I was the mm-hmm. GM on that season. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is Big Stream Pile. It's a podcast where we talk about bad movies on streaming services, and we are in a new season. Uh, we had sort of a long, unexpected hiatus uh, because we were... So during the winter, we had various things crop up that made our schedule a little bit inconsistent, and then a global pandemic happened, and you would think that that would be like the ideal time for me and Tom to like sit down and watch a bunch of movies and knock this podcast out since we live together. But I don't think either of us had the energy to do so. But we're back with it. Uh, <laughs> the season will be a little bit different because we are not just sticking to Netflix anymore. Uh, we're going closer to what our original vision was, which was uh, any streaming service, but I'm going to try to stick mostly to Netflix, Hulu, and Disney Plus because I think that those are the ones that people tend to have. Mm-hmm. Um, but we might get into some other weird ones if we think that the movie is worth talking about. Um, Tom will be on other episodes this season, but he is not on this one because he is very busy this month and I <laughs> wanted to uh, start the season. So yeah. he'll be on most of them. Uh, But today, if you didn't read the title, we are talking about the movie Dinosaur. This Mm -hmm. is not the show Dinosaurs. That's a different thing. I know that Tom was confused when I told him about this. This is like the 2000 movie that Disney put out that's like computer animation. And also, I have to imagine some real footage because I do not think that they got some of that animation that good. Like I can confirm I can confirm that actually almost almost all of the background is is actual footage. Yeah, because Mm -hmm. like, some of the character designs look like pretty bad at times, but then they have like, (laughs) extremely realistic like backgrounds. And I'm like, that has to be like, real footage. There's no way they did it. They did it like walking with dinosaurs style where they got all the back. They shot all the real footage in the world and then CG the dinosaurs in. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, But anyway, this movie was directed by Ralph Zondag and Eric Leeton, and the writers of this movie were John Harrison and Robert Nelson Jacobs. Um, Let's get into the summary. So this movie is about Aladar. Aladar is an iguanodon, but I think that I read that iguanodons are actually really small, like 
like iguanas. No, that's not that they are they are big. Well, the, but the big difference that this movie between a real iguanodon and the regular and what uh what we see in the movie is the fact that they gave the iguanodons lips because iguanodons oh. normally have little beaks. Uh that, but they that wanted That sounds adorable. They wanted yeah, they wanted the their main character to be more expressive and actually have lips. Uh, and knowing this, watching the movie, it was very unsettling because all the iguanodons have lips. <laughs> yeah, they look too much like people. Yeah. Like they had yeah. like weirdly human faces on uh-huh. a reptile body and it was really weird. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, <laughs> so he's an iguanodon. Uh, the movie starts when he's in his little egg and there's a narration uh, going over him. And then we get into the first highly graphic uh, scene, which is that his mother is like on her nest having a good time or whatever. And then like a fucking T-Rex comes out and steps on all his little eggy brothers and sisters. But through this sort Mm -hmm. of like Rube Goldberg machine of various dinosaurs trying to eat him, he ends up in a tree with a family of lemurs. And the lemurs... The relay, the relay race of plot contrivance to get him there. <laughs> yeah, and the lemurs, um, Grandpa Lemur wants to push this egg out of the tree and have it splat, but the mom lemur is like, no, that's let's not murder this thing. <laughs> um, inside is bad. <laughs> yeah, which is probably not a bad call because like iguanodons are are herbivores, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I didn't have much to worry about. He was he was like a cute little baby. Yeah, um, I do have to I do have to make a comment though here because like the egg lands and like lemurs are like not big and like this egg is depicted as like the bigger than the lemurs are, but then when it hatches, the baby iguanodon is like baby sized relative to the lemurs. Yeah, and... like the perfect <laughs> size for them to hold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had to no, laugh that at it. baby might have been bigger than those lemurs. Exactly. Um, but he was he was the right size for them to like cuddle with and stuff like that. Um so those lemurs are uh Pleo and Yar. So Pleo is the mom and Yar is the grandpa. And then uh we get like a big flash forward to uh on this little like lemur island, Aladar's all grown up and he's playing with uh these little baby lemurs and uh there's a mating ritual that's about to happen um zinni who i will say there's a there's a part in the movie where zinni says i'm the love monkey and i've had that in my head for approximately (laughs) 20 years and have forgotten where that came from but it'll just play in my head sometimes so i'm really glad i watched this movie and i was able to be like oh yeah because I saw dinosaurs when I was like <laughs> 10 years old or whatever. Yeah. Um. <laughs> well, and it's funny because that line really says a lot about Zinni's character. Because we established very early on that he is like kind of hopeless in the mating game. But the entire yeah. movie, he's just this like s- suave, smooth talking lemur that, you know, actually can't doesn't have any game at all yeah which is like a weird character arc because yeah. through like 90 percent of the movie there's no other lemurs it's just no. like yeah um spoilers i guess for for our plot summary if i view are on the edge of your seats for our plot summary um <laughs> all the lemurs die but uh so 
<laughs> yeah, so they're get, so Zenny's all hype about this mating ritual, and of course the mating ritual happens, and uh, he doesn't get a lady, and he's trying to play it off, and Yar is like, or no, uh, Pleo, I forget which one says this, but one of them is like, oh, I guess we still have a bachelor in the family, and then the other one looks wistfully off at Aladar and goes, two bachelors, which is yeah. just such Cleo's, a weird burn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Well, like it was Cleo that said it, and and I think like they they were trying to like play it off like she she felt bad for Aladar, um, and then that like obviously sets up like a future romance later in the movie, um, but like because I honestly like I think that's like the literally the whole point of this mating like mating ritual scene. Yeah, it's just to be like Aladar did not find another lady iguanodon. Yeah, there's no other dinosaurs on this island full of lemurs. <laughs> yeah. Um and then like they don't have time to be too, too sad because some meteors start fucking falling like they and- do. Yeah, and in the second really graphic scene of the first, like, 30 minutes of this movie, um, Aladar has to quickly get his, like, immediate family off of the island, which is um, Pleo, Yar, Zinni, and Pleo's daughter, Suri. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they have to watch as the rest of the little monkeys die. Yeah, it's then, very, very dark for a Disney It's extremely movie. dark. There's a lot of deaths, like, right away. Oh, uh-huh. I didn't mention this earlier, but uh, in the opening scene with the little, like, egg relay around around the fucking, you know, crustacean period, uh, you see a T-Rex, like, maul and eat a triceratops. Right, and yeah. And I'm like, this is pretty dark for, you know, what age group this was uh, targeted towards. Uh-huh. But... I digress. So, so you know, riding on Aladar, Aladar gets these little monkeys back on land because they jumped into the water to like yeah. swim away. Yeah, because because the the only way to outrun a meteor shower is you fucking don't really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you just sort of like jump into the water and hope something yeah. good happens. I guess um, they get over this pretty quickly. They don't really talk about it for the rest of the movie. Yeah, there's like one really like you know. They do their little call out, and there's no response, and Suri is sad, and then they move on, and they don't mention it ever again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they didn't like those people anyway. Um. <laughs> Survival of the fittest. Yeah, <laughs> really, which like work. weirdly undercuts like a lot <laughs> yeah. of the themes of the movie. <laughs> uh but so they like go and they see some Carnotaurs. Are Carnotaurs a real dinosaur? They like are. This? It's Carnotosaurus. Uh, it is a real dinosaur. Um, okay. And I have to say, in this movie, made they made these dinosaurs look fucking terrifying. Yeah, they're really scary. They're like blood red, and they have like horns and, and like spikes terrifying and teeth. Yeah. Like, uh-huh. yeah, they're, they're pretty scary looking. Yeah, and, and I think it was because like with the success of Jurassic Park that and and its sequel uh, that came out before this, um, um, they I don't think they wanted to do a T-Rex because like T-Rex became so like synonymous with that franchise. Yeah, it became really ubiquitous. Like T-Rex and like Velociraptor are just mm-hmm. like your default scary dinosaurs. Yeah. And and this movie does have Velociraptors, but they're actually like hit like accurate Velociraptors as opposed to the giant uh fictionalized Velociraptors of Jurassic Park that are more closely related to like 
Deinonychus or Utah Raptor. I'm a dinosaur nerd. Um, yeah, which is that's why, I'm why we here, had actually. Nick the dinosaur <laughs> I was a huge dinosaur kid, and I loved this movie as a kid. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, yeah. I I know I watched this movie a couple times as a kid, and now I'm just sort of like, this has nothing that I like. Why did I watch this? But um, <laughs> anyway, mm-hmm. so um, so they start getting sort of like half heartedly chased by Conotaurs. Important note about the Conotaurs is that they are not like anthropomorphic like they do not uh-uh. speak they are like they're animals like pretty yeah. pretty clearly. the carnotaurs and velociraptors both like all the predators in this movie are depicted basically as animalistic predators like yeah. they would have been in real life yeah 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 so it's not like really a man versus man story in that regard um mm-hmm. it's like a man versus nature story but man is dinosaur and nature is other dinosaurs. also dinosaur <laughs> <laughs> the bad dinosaur <laughs> yeah yeah it's, they, they do the distinction where uh that a lot of dinosaur movies tend to which is herbivores are like are like us and carnivores uh-huh. are dicks <laughs> you, right right <laughs> this this movie was a 90 minute long advertisement for vegetarianism but anyway so <laughs> so they're running away and they come across this herd of of dinos who are migrating and this takes like there is some pretty epic music playing during this but this takes mm-hmm. aladar like five minutes to figure out what the hell is going on so he's just standing in the middle yeah. of this crowd of moving dinosaurs right like <laughs> what and it's it's really weird but he ends it, up at the it, back of the herd because of this Right. Well, and and that's and they do that so like he could see the entire herd, like so we the audience with him can see the entire herd, but at, like to facilitate that, he's kind of just written to just be in like like oblivious like stunned you know. Yeah. Uh, Cuz it's like, not yeah. like he has ever he has never seen other dinosaurs. Like we see that he has. And like mm-hmm. I get that he would be like unexpected like it would be unexpected to suddenly be in the middle of a crowd of like you know roaming dinos but like i don't know i feel like they could just have him like go off to the side and like watch it or like run up a hill and like look down and see it um but they didn't do that but he ends up at the back of the herd is the moral of the story and uh he's with some older dinosaurs he's with baleen who is a she a she, I put long neck in my notes because my cultural reference for all of this is uh, is land before time, and uh, and Ema, who is an old Triceratops, and they're like taking forever because they're like old women, and in the strangest, most questionable twist of this movie, um, Ema has a pet dinosaur who acts like a dog named Earl. Like a dinosaur like them. I don't yeah. know why they did that, but Ema basically has a pet dinosaur. It's really I will, weird. It, it is very weird. Uh, I, I will make a quick correction that Ema is a Styracosaurus, not a Triceratops. Um, I'm here because I'm a dinosaur nerd, so I'm going to make that correction. And <laughs> she, Okay, if you want to know what whatever the hell that is looks like, they, they look like a Triceratops. They, don't, they just have one nose horn. They don't have the, the other two horns. But they they're, they're basically a, it's basically a triceratops, and uh, Earl is of course an ankylosaurus. That one I know because you get it in Animal Crossing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so 
those are what all the dinosaurs are. <laughs> that's every di- type of dinosaur that we care about in this movie. It's mostly about iguanodons and like lemurs, but you also right. have uh, yeah. have those other two. <laughs> um, and they're at the back and they're like, oh, the herd is going too fast. We can't keep up. So um, Aladar, trying to be helpful, goes to like clearly the guy in charge who is just the most asshole looking iguanodon. Yeah, he's an enormous like, dick. <laughs> yeah, just the one who looks like the biggest just asshole he's he's like hey you guys should like slow down because they're trying to keep up and and um crone is this character and he he mm-hmm. basically is just like fuck you survival of the fittest like uh-huh. yeah like we'll just leave him behind i don't care i don't care about anything and um through this you get to see that he has like basically a right hand dino named Bruton, who is this other like scary Crouton. looking iguanodon and um, a pretty pink sister named nira and they wanted to make sure <laughs> you knew she was a girl so she is yeah. pink yeah <laughs> um and you know aladar and nira sort of get off on the wrong foot mainly in part due to zinni but i think that uh nira is sort of like endeared by the fact that he cares enough to be like hey like we should wait for these old guys at the back um Mm -hmm. and then this leads into this sort of like travel montage where um the whole point is that they're trying to get to water so they've gone without water for quite some time and uh but they know that there's going to be this like really nice oasis when they when they stop to rest and when they get Mm -hmm. there there is no water um and ima is just about to like fucking keel over because of this and uh they end up (laughs) Hmm? i said it's because she's old so yeah, Ema and Bailey and are like far too old to be taking this journey and they can't go like another couple days to get to their final destination, which is this like fertile crescent nesting area. Um, this was supposed to be like the big pit stop where everyone like it's water and energy and stuff like that. And then they go to like the last place. Uh but mm-hmm. they all get down into this basin or whatever, and uh, they realize Baleen, because she's so big, is ordered to, is able to sort of like break through the topsoil and get to the water table that's just, you know, underneath that. And uh, everyone gets real excited about it, but that means that everyone else is sort of like shoved out because there's this big like stampede of people trying to get to water. Um, not going with the group because then everyone could get water, but because they did it this way, like assholes. Yeah, they like some of them just didn't <laughs> get water. Um, well, Crone, like Crone, is like the the worst offender. Like he barrels yeah. on in and like is just a dick to everyone, including like the the little kid iguanodons and all that. Yeah. But the little kid iguanodon, so later we see Suri sort of, like, coaxing them out of, like, a little cave to, like, try to get water, and Aladar is, like, showing them how to how to uh, bring the water table up and stuff like that, and, uh, and Nira sees this and is very endeared, and um, she doesn't think that he's a jerkosaurus anymore. <laughs> she thinks that he's a cool guy. Um so they do that, and uh, as they're moving on, because Carnotaurs have sort of been, like, attracted by all this commotion and stuff like that, so they need to move forward very quickly. Obviously, Baleen and Ema cannot move forward that quickly, so Aladar with the lemurs decides to stay behind with them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so the Carnotaurs are, like, tearing around or whatever. It starts to rain, so I'm like, okay, well, they just could have, like, waited if they needed water. I know, like, this solves the water problem really easily. 
I know. And I'm just like, okay, that sort of undercut everything that's happened over the past 20 minutes, but fine, I guess. Um, yeah. Oh, I, I guess. I yeah, cause the whole because the whole thing. Yeah, the whole thing was like if they didn't drink then they wouldn't be able to make it all the way to the nesting grounds. But then it rains twenty minutes later. So it's like you go out and it's like you, you make a big deal about making sure you water your yard and water the plants in your yard and then it literally rains an hour later because of course it does. So I, I will say that what happened earlier that I sort of forgot was before they moved on, they were warned about the carnotaurs by um by Crone's right-hand man, Bruton, who's, like, really injured, has been sort of torn into by these carnotaurs. And uh, Crone, being the heartless dick that he is, is just, like, leave him for dead. Yeah, um, like his right-hand man. <laughs> yeah, just fuck him, I guess. No one and, is uh, immune to my assholery. <laughs> yeah, so while while our group, who does, which does not include Nira, to be clear, she's gone on with Crone because Crone, like, really wanted her to, and she just sort of, like, followed her on, along with it. Um our sort of main group has found a cave to wait out the rain and like sleep for the night. And on the way to the cave, they see a uh, Bruton and they try to help him, but he's like, no, fuck you guys. You all are weak. And they were like, well, die then I guess. Um, <laughs> and he's just like, fine, I will. <laughs> yeah. That's my fate to die here. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he eventually is just like, maybe I shouldn't just like immediately die. And uh, um, so he's like, maybe I shouldn't just like immediately die and like goes into the cave. Cleo sees that there are some like plants, some sort of plant or mushroom or something um, that has helped them heal injuries in the past. So she goes over and sort of like puts it on him. And he's like, maybe these guys aren't so bad after all. Um, but then the Carnotaurs show up and they're trying to sneak yes. out of the back of the cave a la star wars the last jedi they're trying that's what they're trying to do because the carnotaurs are at the front so they're trying to do mm -hmm. this really quietly so as to not alert the carnotaurs because suddenly carnotaurs can only see movements like i don't yeah. think this is ever really established before but it's a very like jurassic park moment where if you're like very very still they're not gonna see you um <laughs> So they they try to get out of the back, but of course, like a million things fall over, and they get alerted. The carnotaurs are alerted. Bruton, who's now partially healed, just fucking sacrifices himself and is yeah. like, "I will die. <laughs> you guys go." And uh, they do, in fact. I guess make it was it... his fate to die there after all. Yeah, like he was. He he had committed to dying, and he's like, yeah. I might as well make it for like a decent cause. Um, <laughs> so he just fucking dies, taking one of the Carnotaurs out with them, and uh, the other, the rest of the group gets to the back of the cave, and out of the back of the cave, they see the nesting grounds where they were like trying to go in the first fucking place. So they just found like Super a shortcut. Convenient, I guess. yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, huh. God, I'm like, yeah, they, those other dinos were like fucking close. If this was just like, yeah, through this game. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, they definitely could have waited the five minutes or whatever for like Ema and Baleen to like catch up, but they didn't. Right. Um, so they're, they're hanging out like, oh yeah, like this is awesome. We got there and it wasn't like too bad. Uh, but then they're like, oh, no one else is here. And Aladar's like, I'll go find them. 
Uh, so he goes and he sees that the rest of the dinosaurs, the rest of the herd has been, there was like a, like an avalanche of, of stone and stuff and they can't get past it. And Crone is like, just fucking climb up this big wall of stone. And Aladar's like, hey, there's a shortcut this way. And Crone is like, no, fuck you. And that doesn't <laughs> fuck matter. Fuck you. I'm because... a raging contrarian. I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> Yeah, but it's all for naught because the last Carnotaur shows up, the one that survived the battle with uh, Bruton, and uh, they're all like, what do we do? Let's fucking scatter because every man for himself, which is like every HVZ game ever. And Aladar's like, no, literally, if we just stick together, he's not going to pick any of us off because there's a lot more of us than there are from him. Uh And they're like... I don't know, but they end up listening to him. And in possibly the funniest yeah. moment <laughs> in the movie, Aladar gets a couple other iguanodons and they just yell yeah, in they the just, Carnotaur's face. Fucking shouting match is all it is. And the Carnotaur is just like, oh man, this never happened yeah. before. Fuck, yeah, what do the I do? Carnotaur, like literally lets the entire herd go behind these couple dinosaurs shouting at him and like go through the shortcut. And I'm just like, okay, that was pretty weird. <laughs> um like I'm a big fuck off Carnotaur with huge fucking sharp teeth and horns and fucking spikes all down my body and but you know, I've never been like ganged up on like this and I'm really emotionally hurt, so I'm just going to let you go. <laughs> Yeah, like, I think that they could have, like, possibly beaten up the Carnotaur if the Carnotaur, like, wanted to try <laughs> lunge at them or something, but I uh, really don't think that the solution would have been just just roar at the Carnotaur, mm-hmm. um, but it, it works, uh, but then it's, like, Aladar and Crone and Nira are sort of, like, the last couple ones left, and Crone is really on this, like, even though we have a solution, let's climb up this like yeah. sixty foot wall of stone. <laughs> it I'm wasn't sure my idea, therefore it is bad. <laughs> yeah. Um. So they end up in a fight with the Carnotaur. Um. And obviously, it's like a predator, so it's a pretty bad enemy. But they end up defeating it and pushing uh-huh. it off a cliff where it gets um fallen to death. And during uh-huh. this battle, Crone also dies. And Nira is sad about it for approximately four seconds. He was and then a dick. She moves anyway. on. He was my brother, but he was a dick. <laughs> yeah, she didn't like him either. To be fair, like um, that that one is like slightly better than you know the Monkey Island one because right. I do. Because, I do have like, to laugh. <laughs> I do have to laugh about that whole scenario though, because it's like the Carnotaur was like letting all the dinosaurs go, but saw Crone and was like, "Oh, one I can pick off," which is fair, but. Aladar and Nira could have left with the other dinosaurs, but they only stayed to get into this fight to save Crone, who dies anyway, protecting them from the Carnotaur. So I'm like, this entire scenario was for nothing because, like, they didn't even save Crone, which was the only reason they put themselves in danger, forcing him to sacrifice himself to save them, which I guess gives him, like, the tiniest of redemptions at the very end, but ultimately it's like that was an entire pointless exchange. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they could have just as easily made a situation where Crone couldn't escape and he only got into it because he wasn't going with the herd. Right. And they sort of, like, watched watched aghast as these two dinosaurs, like, kill each other, like, you know, or, like, Crone Mm -hmm. does something 
better to like sacrifice himself to save this dinosaur because that scene just i'm like what are they trying to say yeah it was not great well Um, i I think they were like trying to be like true to the characters that they had written where like nira and aladar wouldn't like they would go back them being the characters they would be they would go back to try to save crone and then that is what gives crone the opportunity to sacrifice himself to save them but it's just like super weird and contrived that like if they really wanted crone to have that redemption they could have written it in a way that didn't force the main characters to go back to save him only to get themselves in danger and force him to save them uh (laughs) yeah it was just there was a lot going on yeah i think i think it was getting to the end of the movie and they were like oh man we got to put a we gotta put yeah, a cap we gotta on put this a thing. big fight in here for yeah, reasons. Yeah. Disney Disney <laughs> wants a fight. Um <laughs> Right. <laughs> so yeah, so all the dinosaurs end up at the um this like fertile crescent at this like nesting grounds. And so we got another flash forward and Aladar has banged the thing we all <laughs> wanted and were hoping for. That iguanodon um, fucks. Yeah, we wanted Aladar to lose his virginity (laughs) it's okay because they're married um yeah of course (laughs) they got dinosaur married (laughs) yeah exactly so uh nira and aladar have some little eggs pleo's like real excited about them zinni shows up with this like horde of lady lemurs being like hey it's okay that all of our friends and family died because i'm gonna get laid (laughs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> i'm gonna be in this massive orgy later yeah and they're all like you scamp and yeah. <laughs> uh and then uh and then the baby pees on yar just like aladar did at the beginning mm-hmm. of the movie because peeing is yar. funny uh-huh yeah and that's basically the end of the movie like and then everybody happened. roars at the end of the movie because fuck it it worked for the lion king <laughs> I know. I forgot about that. I think I, I think I put that in there too. It's just like, oh, this this was cool in the Lion King, so let's just like do it. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I also thought it was pretty weird that Pleo's like ending narration because she narrates the beginning and the end of the movie, and the end of the movie was basically just like. We hope that people remember the dinosaurs, which was not the thesis of the film. Even no, a little well, bit. yeah, it was. Uh, it was like none of us know what what changes, big or small, lie ahead or whatever. Uh, and I'm just sitting there thinking, well, I can think of a big one. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, I'm like, well, like the audience <laughs> all knows. That's like the point is that the audience definitely knows uh-huh. what is going to happen. Yeah. So <laughs> I was uh, I, I did a little bit of like on that note and, and uh, like the whole thing about like we don't know what changes are coming ahead. Uh, and I think that is like one of the holdovers from the very original concept for this movie, because this movie was, um, according to Wikipedia, originally conceptualized back in 1980, uh, uh, back in 1986 uh, by Phil Tippett. Uh, who does like stop motion animation. He worked on a bunch of movies, but it was on the set of RoboCop of all movies. 
that this this film was originally uh, conceived because he wanted uh, Paul Verhoeven, who directed RoboCop and Starship Troopers and all of that, to direct this movie. And it was originally going to be a stop motion movie with real lemurs and all of that stuff. But it was originally supposed to like have them get to the nesting grounds or wherever they were going in the end. And when they get there and there's this big triumphant ending and then the meteor hits and everyone dies. <laughs> Which would be really, really hilarious. Like... Yeah. You're right. But, but yeah, the concept was that the meteor hits and all the dinosaurs die and that the lemurs survive because they can hibernate. And then that's supposed to be like this profound beginning of the human race. Um, but that was it, a version of the movie that was very different than what we got because it was originally conceived as like a mockumentary sort of thing where like the mm -hmm. dinosaurs wouldn't talk. It would just be like narrated like a nature documentary, you know, which like you sort of get those vibes at the beginning uh -huh. of the movie. Cause I remember like commenting mm -hmm. to Tom after I had watched the movie, like it has all the vibes of a very graphic nature documentary, but like, mm -hmm. You usually don't show those ones to kids. You usually show the ones about like, oh, a baby is born and like this is like what happens and they're cute. Right. Like you don't show like if you do hit on it, you usually don't show like really graphic like, you know, these animals are, are mm -hmm. tearing into each other on like large and small scales because that's sort of like what nature is. Exactly. But yeah. And, and I think they were going to like shooting for like this like the original concept, like shooting for like that particular style of nature documentary where you like name the animals and like you characterize the animals and you follow them through like a story, you know? So like the document kind of documentary that like name, you have a protagonist that is this animal that you're following and documenting their live. And the narration is very dramatic and like, Oh yes, the predator, like whatever. And then the predator has a name too. And like, like that kind of nature documentary. And I think that's like what they originally wanted to make. Um, but at their iterations, cause I don't think either, uh, I don't, I think neither Phil Tippett or Paul Verhoeven are, were involved with the final version of this film. Um, <laughs> but like the weird thing of it, like following dino, like a dinosaur and like lemurs was like the win one through line that survived. Um, which I don't even know if like lemurs like that actually, like lemurs, like modern lemurs, like basically what we yeah, see in the movie. Yeah, because this looked exactly actually like lemurs like you would see it in a like, zoo. <laughs> right, right. Because I'm pretty sure like early mammals might, might there might have been like early lemurs that were sort of like that. But for the most part, um, and I'm, I did no research on that end, but uh, I, I don't think that like there were like modern lemurs <laughs> in dinosaur times. <laughs> Yeah, I was I was also pretty <laughs> doubtful of that. And I think they were just sort of using it as like shorthand for like it's not a chimpanzee. Like it's not it's still yeah. pretty far away from like human. Right. But it's like this is, you know, this is a monkey of some sort. Right. Some sort of proto primate. Yeah. Um so do you want to get into the discussion portion yes. of our episode? Okay. So, um, what did you think of the movie? What, what were your thoughts? Um, <laughs> I, uh, see, like I said before, this was a movie that I really, really enjoyed as a kid because I was a huge dinosaur nerd. Like, Jurassic Park came out when I was five years old, but I was already a big dinosaur nerd, and I begged my parents to see it, and I saw it as, at a, as a five-year-old, and it's still my favorite movie of all time. Um, but, so naturally, <laughs> when this movie comes out, I was all about it. And, uh, but 
um looking back on it like now as an adult uh it like it still had that nostalgia for me but um i can definitely see the cracks <laughs> where yeah uh, like what struck me about it though is that like it, it the it was very intense which didn't bother me as a kid because like i said jurassic park when i was five but um but it was very intense and but what i the dialogue was like almost the other end of the spectrum. Like the dialogue was almost that like corny eye rolling, like kind of bad kids movie dialogue that mm -hmm. only appeals to the kids. And it just makes all their parents roll their eyes the whole time. Yeah. Like, and even like if this was like targeted, like 10 to like 12 year old kids, I think the dialogue is even too childish, even for that, you know, the age that would be okay with a more intense visuals the dialogue is even right. too little kiddish for them. So it was like that weird balancing act where like we have these really intense scenes and then we see the dead dinosaur and then like, then it like fades as time passes. And then you see the dinosaur's bones picked clean by the Raptors and all that stuff. But then you have, we cut immediately to, you know, Ema making a monkey on my back joke because right. we're apparently four years old. <laughs> yeah I, I I also thought it was weirdly graphic so like I know when I was studying like literature in college uh, that would be a lot of the discussions around children's literature is like what is too graphic for kids because kids usually like something a little bit older I think than what like parents and what studios give them and also mm -hmm. kids are like pr like kids like to be scared like they like things that are like a little bit more intense um mm -hmm. So I was like, I think that if you had like a kid who was pretty sensitive, this movie would be like probably not the best pick. <laughs> yeah. and, but it does like I will say that they did make an attempt to sort of like ramp up the violence. I think it happened like very quickly, but in that opening shot we get uh this like little itty bitty dinosaur who kinda like sticks his tongue out and like gets a bug and eats it, which is something mm. that people are, are fairly familiar with um and it's usually used as a shorthand for like nature is really chaotic um and then we get like aladar and the egg and we sort of see like this mm. little cycle of life but then it comes out with the big scary dinosaur like just yeah. fucking annihilating another dinosaur yeah. <laughs> and i'm like this is like a little intense even as an adult so i don't think that that is necessarily like inappropriate for kids uh -huh. but i think that like you need like the right kid after yeah and point. it's like the movie did a good job of like avoiding blood and gore but at the same yeah. time like all of these dinosaurs have sharp teeth and sharp claws and it's very like implied that there is lots of flesh being rended here and we're just not gonna show right. you the bloody they, bits they uh, do like <laughs> the pg thing of like you don't show them bleeding you show the red line on them which is what yeah. keeps like pg from pg-13 is that like uh -huh. bleeding um, right so we know that these dinosaurs are getting like pretty hurt but we don't see gore uh -huh. um i would argue that sort of like seeing dinosaurs like eating each other like that sort of like cannibalism is pretty rough and maybe uh -huh. should have bumped this movie up a little bit <laughs> right i don't know no, that's People always that kind of uh, that's always that ratings. thing that kind of gets just like shoved off to the background like, when it comes to like anthropomorphizing animals like the lion king touches on it but you never see it 
for the most part. Uh, you know, yeah. it's like, and, and yeah, no, we totally eat our totally intelligent neighbors. Um, but we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. And that sort of gets into the goofy Pluto thing, which happened uh-huh. a lot in this movie. Um, right. For people that don't really know what I'm talking about, it's that in like in Disney, you know, like this movie in Disney, um, you have Goofy, who is a dog, mm-hmm. and you have Pluto, who is a dog, but Pluto <laughs> is a pet, and Goofy uh-huh. is like a person. Right. And I think that a lot of kids accept that at face value. Um, but as you get older, especially, and as you like look at media, you sort mm-hmm. of have to be like, well, like, what's the distinction here? Like, why are we doing like Pluto was a dog and Goofy is a person? And the answer to that one, I think, is that dogs are pets, so they're just an easy thing to have as a pet yeah. for Mickey. And people like dogs, so we should have a dog person yeah. because that would dog, be cute dogs are funny. relatable having a dog is a relatable thing um yeah, yeah. Uh, bo burnham has a pretty funny bit uh about about the goofy pluto thing but uh <laughs> yeah so we get that in this movie with earl like almost directly one for one where it's like hey here's another dinosaur but he is literally a dog in everything he does he's a dog um yeah. and then we get it to a lesser extent with the the carnivorous predators um, where they are just depicted as animalistic hunting um, creatures. Um, yeah, and I was, like, pretty down with that at first. I was like, mm-hmm. okay, like, the carnivores are animals. We get that in other dinosaur mm-hmm. media. We get that in Land Before Time. Mm-hmm. Um, but Earl being a dog I thought was extremely weird because I'm not sure what weird. they were trying to say with that. I'm like, what is the point of having Earl be a dog when everyone else is a person right (laughs) i i did not get that and like the only thing i could think of is it's for that one scene where um they're looking for the cave and earl brings aladar a something i don't know what it is it's like like a a little stalactite that's like a pointed like stalactite that he broke off somewhere or found in the cave yeah and then he like put it down and it pointed to the cave i'm like well that was obvious like he could just seen the cave that was like 50 feet away from him but um yeah i thought that that was like pretty weird um they sort of tried to do something at the beginning where it's like oh earl isn't this friendly to strangers like you must be a good person sort of doing like the dog as having like a sense of of humanity like a little detect evil thing (laughs) yeah but i was like they didn't yeah they didn't like go through that like they didn't you know have that be useful in any way it's just like shorthand for like aladar's a cool guy which they already we already knew as the audience because we had spent 30 minutes with him talking about how he's a cool guy who likes kids (laughs) right it's like uh it's like they felt the need to like give the uh give the older dinosaurs a reason to trust aladar immediately um even though like him just being helpful and concerned for their well-being probably would have done it (laughs) realistically right because it's not like they were like we hate iguanodons in fact it's baleen and ima who Mm -hmm. when um zinni and suri bring up like oh are there more lemurs um and they're like no sorry there aren't lemurs and they're like disappointed about they're like oh so we're Mm -hmm. like the only ones they're the ones who say oh like you see every type of dinosaur here like you see like every type of person here or whatever so yeah we're all the same yeah so they didn't need a reason 
reason. Like, they weren't like, oh, all iguanodons are dicks. Oh, Earl right. likes you. I guess that's why we like you. Like, they were already uh-huh. accepting of it. Yeah. And we as the audience were already accepting of it. So it didn't make, like, you could have cut Earl out of this movie entirely. It and It would have made no difference. Yeah. Same movie. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> well, I almost feel like that might have been a, like a holdover from an earlier version of the script. And it meant that this script probably needed another pass or two to clean that yeah. shit out. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was yeah. also sort of wondering if they were trying to like reference Spike from Land Before Time. Yeah, um, but Spike is not their dog. Spike no. is also Spike is a just person. A baby. Like, Spike just doesn't talk. Yeah, Spike is yeah. a baby, and that's like the uh-huh. joke is that he is bigger than all of them, but he he's mm-hmm. the baby. <laughs> right now, that brings me to one of the points that I want to make is that this movie was absolutely in my mind, a unsanctioned, gritty reboot of The Land Before Time. And you cannot convince me otherwise. (laughs) Okay. So so let's explore that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think that that makes sense. It's definitely like upping in uh, violence from Land Before Time. Um, I actually did think of Land Before Time a couple times this because I think it's Land Before Time 4... Three or four, whichever one is Chomper's second movie. Um, so one Chomper and I had them uh, all, but they all like blur together in my memory. Yeah, if you want to watch a really good uh, Land Before Time video, Jenny Nicholson has one. Uh, uh-huh. She had coronavirus and was like quarantined and didn't have energy, do a lot of stuff because she was really sick. So while she was in quarantine, she watched all 14 Land Before Time movies and uh, <laughs> ranked all of them. Um, I. I heard I heard of that one. It's been on my watch list for a while. It's it's pretty funny. I, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> um, but so uh, so yeah, it, it's whichever one is Chomper's second movie, which is arguably uh-huh. also, if I recall, one of the best Land Before Time movies. Um, so Chomper is this little baby T Rex that they find at first. They're afraid of it, but then they kind of learn the lesson of like, oh, it's like. It's not like who someone is. It's like, you know, their actions Nature and stuff versus, like that. versus nurture. Yeah, exactly. Um, but they realize that they can't keep Chomper and Chomper needs to be with other Tyrannosauruses. But then later they like sort of subvert the whole trope of like Tyrannosauruses being uh, these big terrifying creatures by having them being like very doting uh, parents to Chomper and Chomper kind of tells them in Tyrannosaurus like, hey, these guys are cool. Like, don't eat them. <laughs> um and it's really cute Uh so so i kind of thought of of, about that a couple times during Uh it because like i mean that's the thing right is that you know you have this uh this little orphan baby being adopted by like another type of dinosaur in this case it's monkeys but uh and then seeing what happens with them Uh (laughs) uh-huh and it like it usually like makes it more compassionate in some way but uh exactly yeah well, and like the uh, like like you mentioned, Land Before Time too. Uh, that um, they did the for I, I guess up until that that movie that they did the the whole thing where like the carnivores were like mostly non anthropomorphized. You know the the sharp tooths. Yeah, uh, the sharp from, tooths. Yeah, from the Land Before Times were always these this monster these monstrous villains. Um, but but yeah, but no, like the 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 plot of this movie is like kind of like 
at least like the the simplest distilled version of this is like basically the plot of the first land before time where you know we have to get to the great valley and then you know it's a bunch of dinosaurs making that journey and being pursued by predators along the way and the the hatching ground is totally not the Great Valley. Yeah, it's, it's like, definitely not the Great Valley. Like we were that one tree star away from this movie being the <laughs> land before time. <laughs> I know. I thought of that too. I'm like, okay, this is the Great Valley. But that is like a big thing in, in dinosaur media, this sort of idea of this like oasis where uh, dinosaurs uh-huh. could sort of like be comfortable and stave off their inevitable distinction for just a little bit longer. Um, But that's sort of the interesting thing I think about this movie and about dinosaur movies in general, especially for kids is that like dinosaur movies are clearly supposed to be this um, metaphor for, for nature and humans and how we, and how nature interacts with us and how nature, you know, how we interact with nature. Um, So, it's always really interesting how people deal with this idea of like life in nature is chaos and that's not inherently wrong but it's chaotic and because it's chaotic sometimes it means that people get hurt Mm -hmm. uh and in this movie it seemed almost like what they were saying was like nature and nature being like the cycle of creation and decay is what is chaotic but life is is generally compassionate um Mm -hmm. Unless you're a carnivore, and then Apparently. and then you are a part of nature, uh, uh-huh. and you are part of that cycle of creation and decay. But I, I thought that that was interesting that you mm-hmm. have this idea of like um, life and like particularly being um, being conscious, like being a person, like meaning also that you have the ability for compassion and that is like what will sustain you like you know uh, that's that helps Aladar get you know his family off the island it's what is ultimately like Crone's downfall like that is his hubris where he he dies because he like wouldn't be compassionate and wouldn't choose what was best for the herd because he was like inherently selfish um so I thought that was interesting I also thought it was interesting that they drew the line at nature of like carnivore and herbivore which i think that you can say like plenty of things about that but also that little kids get it because it's sort of like hard Mm -hmm. to justify i think Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) because kids uh, kids don't really think about what a chicken nugget is but if you like have a tyrannosaurus especially post jurassic park and you're like looking at them eating a little chicken dinosaur that's not chicken nugget anymore (laughs) (laughs) right for sure uh <laughs> yeah it, it's that it's that interesting uh you know like how how much do we want to like delve into that concept uh and show to kids um but yeah like that yeah well and i mean it's like i, I think jurassic park's a good example because like the carnivorous dinosaurs in jurassic park are obviously the antagonists uh, and that's yeah. because the protagonists are people. So when you anthropomorph- anthropomorphize dinosaurs, but you still want carnivorous dinosaurs to be the antagonists, short of anthropomorphizing and giving them motivations beyond we just want to eat you, um, that's kind of the only option you're left with. Which I would have right. loved the movie that that actually like anthropomorphized the the predator dinosaurs and given them personalities because then we would have gotten like a Lion King's hyenas sort of deal or if, in my yeah. mind I, I pictured like the the Velociraptors kind of like the weasels from Who Framed Roger Rabbit 
um, in my mm, mind. I yeah. want that was a movie I wanted to see. Apparently, <laughs> thinking about this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. See, when yeah. we get the humanized predators, you know what we get? We get Zootopia. We do get Zootopia, is, <laughs> which is a movie that's very, very good and is never going to be on this show because it's really, really good. It, it is a good um, movie. It does have some weird. Uh, it does have some some weird implications that it creates, but it is a good movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, doing yeah, doing that is always like really complicated. Um, <laughs> because unless you sort of like make the joke of like, oh, they're actually vegetarians, it like forces you to reckon with, um, the mm. idea that maybe eating animals is wrong. Um. Yeah, I'm a vegetarian. If if you couldn't notice from the way I'm talking about this movie, <laughs> and and I'm a carnivore, which means that I am not an actual character. I am just merely an antagonistical force in this podcast. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> why we had Nick on for this one because he is a velociraptor. Or I don't know, you know, dinosaurs. What what carnivore would you be? Oh fuck. Um. Well, I will say this: you joke that I'm a velociraptor. I did actually uh, dress up as a velociraptor for Halloween one year. Um, are we with... Are we going to see that come back? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I have the mask still because it, it was like a latex velociraptor mask that I got, and then my mom made the rest of the costume. There might be a picture somewhere. I might have to dig it out. <laughs> That's what you should be for Halloween this year, just in your house by yourself, because no one's going anywhere for Halloween. Um, um, I mean, I, I did think about using that mask to do a Raptor Jesus uh, if I wanted to dress up as a super dated meme. Um, <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, getting back to the actual movie, though, I also think that what's sort of interesting in exploring ideas of uh, human nature in these movies is that like we know that the dinosaurs have died. Like we know that the meteor mm -hmm. came down and the dinosaurs are gone, uh, which seems like it was a lot bigger in the original concepts because in the beginning mm -hmm. of the movie, the meteor is not like the meteor TM. Like they're not mm -hmm. like trying to go through and, and find something that doesn't exist, which is like a way to s survive this thing. You know, they're all going to be wiped out eventually. So this sort of like, there's this weird darkness. I think that, that looms over all dinosaur movies which is that like you know that they're all going to die like we don't have dinosaurs anymore or we do but they're like animals that have survived in like weird ways they're um, birds now yeah they're birds and like weird fish and stuff like mm -hmm. that um so i i always think that that's really interesting like how they deal with the idea that one day we will all die and this will all have been for naught. This podcast is my dinosaur the movie. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is how I will be remembered. Yes. Um Yeah, and I, I, I think that's interesting because like this movie sort of posits like the way we are remembered and the way we are important is by what we do for others and like being compassionate and stuff like that. Like that's how people don't just move on from your death within five seconds because you're being a dick. <laughs> right. That It's like, it's like what, what we do in the moment sort of matters. Like the impact that we make on other mm -hmm. is what like really matters. And that memory will one day be destroyed, but we can still sort of have this like idea of, um, of like epicness, this idea of these like, 
really large like fucking creatures roaming the earth that is really cool and like majestic in some ways but also we have this sort of terrifying aspect of it that we don't want to go back to like we don't want to go back to um the greatest game basically like we don't want to go back to just being terrorized all the time and being in fear of being eaten but we also are like fascinated with the concept yeah for sure okay (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) yeah no, that that sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you I was like watching this like trying to think of it sort of like um like now watching it, you know, 20 whatever years later in quarantine like going through sort of like a global pandemic in a state of like total global unrest and like yeah. weird environmental stuff. Did that movie made you think of all of that as you were watching it? Not not really, but I mean, I did get like a little bit of like post-apocalyptic vibes. Like, like if you wanted to frame this movie as a post-apocalyptic movie, you probably could. Um, especially if you know, like, you know, what you mentioned before of like that impending extinction. Um, that, uh, you know, if, if like that first meteor shower is kind of like the beginning of the end, if you interpret it the movie that way, which is left up to you know, interpretation. But if you interpret the movie that that first meteor shower is kind of like the beginning of, you know, the more meteor showers and eventually the comet that kills all the, you know, the dinosaurs, then you can kind of like interpret this movie as a post-apocalyptic movie where everyone's lives have been uprooted and they're now trying to seek out this one final this, place this of oasis, refuge. This, yeah. You know, no, I, I think that's exactly right. I think that this is yeah. sort of like this how Mad Max Fury especially... Road. Yeah, this is how, like, kids, I think, like, sort of explore that because there's a degree of separation. Like, we are Uh not dinosaurs. Um, Right. We know that the dinosaurs were, like, really, really long ago, and uh, they're anthropomorphic. Yeah, um, that word. It's so hard to say. They're anthropomorphic, (laughs) but they are not, they're distinctly not humans. They're they're not us. Um, So we can explore these sort of, like, moral fables and stuff like that but then we also can understand that that's sort of like done now and it 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 is sort of like a baby's first apocalypse because i think when you're adult there's this sort of like for me maybe i'm just really anxious when i watch movies but for me anyway i sort of (laughs) am like oh god like so many of these things draw from like real life like you know climate change and stuff like that that will Mm -hmm. eventually make us descend into this like mad max type of thing where Mm -hmm. we are all like in constant search of an oasis and uh, we get there by being good compassionate people or in some cases by being like absolutely ruthless people who like Mm -hmm. have sort of banded up with other ruthless people Mm -hmm. um but I think that explores it in sort of like safe and comfortable ways for kids. Like, and yeah. maybe that is like an argument for it being sort of graphic. It's like kids understand that this stuff is graphic, but mm-hmm. there is like you're not watching this happen to a dog. Like that would be pretty upsetting if this was like right. a dog or something. But it's not. It's it's a dinosaur. Like there's not dinosaurs anymore. Right. Yeah. There's that. There's that level of abstraction. That level of you separation. Um, like, you know, dinosaurs did exist, but in the minds of children, they're basically as imaginary as dragons, you know, um, like effectively, you know, beyond, beyond like educational stuff in, in terms of like, you know, imagining like that world and these creatures as they lived, um, isn't really 
any different in the mind of a child than uh, like envisioning something completely made up that they that's in all kinds of children's media, you know. Yeah. So having that degree of separation allows you to show maybe stuff that would be disturbing otherwise because, yeah. you know, the kids know what dogs are. They know what cats are. They know what <laughs> yeah. animals are. But, you know, yeah. a dinosaur I, I'm is of like, a dinosaur. Yeah, I'm thinking of like pet media and mm-hmm. a lot of pet media, even in the most like basic form, if there is conflict, it is generally like pretty upsetting to kids. Yeah. Like you have fucking the fox and the hound, yeah. for instance, and you will get some tears out of a uh-huh. child. Um uh-huh. and Homeward that bound. is much lower stakes than mm-hmm. than dinosaur. That that is not and there is like some elements of like, you know, constantly being chased and like loss and stuff like that. But I mean even as an adult, that's like a pretty upsetting movie uh-huh. for many reasons uh-huh. um i mean in homeward the, bound shadow the dog being stuck down in the bottom of that well telling telling the the other animals to go on without him i know i was trying not to talk about homeward bound because i started thinking of it and like tearing up and so i'm like okay like what's what's a movie i remember less fox and the hound but then i started tearing up with that <laughs> i just <laughs> This is why we need dinosaur movies because these like movies about dogs are just so upsetting. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. Oh God. Yeah. Well, that was that was an unexpectedly emotional journey. This <laughs> we know we gotta check that website. Like, does the dog die? Yeah. Does like, the dog die? Guess what? Every single dinosaur movie, the dog does not die. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really. So that's um, the moral of the story. If you don't like dogs dying in your movies, watch dinosaur movies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, unless, oh, unless it's the the Lost World Jurassic Park, the dog does die in that movie. Oh, I didn't. I I've never seen that movie, so I don't know that. <laughs> that's uh, upsetting. It's 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 played off as a joke because the dog is not one you get emotionally attached to. It's just there. Okay. So there's yeah. your warning, your content warning. Yeah, there, there's your your unexpected spoiler for uh, Jurassic yeah. Park two, and and also a movie where a dog dies. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, Earl was safe. Earl was never in any danger in this no. movie. He got stepped was... on at one point, and he was fine. <laughs> yeah, I know. And Aladar, when Earl made noise that like alerted the Carnotaurs, Aladar fucking stepped on his head, and he was <laughs> <No>! completely fine. <laughs> Yeah. Earl, and the other thing too is it was sort of implied that Earl was only staying behind because of Ema. So even if something would have happened to Ema and Baleen, he would have been fine. Like he uh-huh. would have gotten there. <laughs> I oh, will say gosh. this: speaking of Ema and Baleen, Ema and Baleen make me want to uh, like see Golden Girls, but dinosaurs. That would be pretty fun. <laughs> um, yeah, Ema. Th- that was like my biggest theory to why. Uh, to why Earl was there was that they wanted to characterize Ema by having her be an old lady with a dog, but that doesn't mm-hmm. tell us anything because that sort no, of like yeah yeah especially too because that sort of trope like an old woman holding a dog is one of like decadence and a, sh- a shorthand for mm-hmm. like being from a lot of money because you can like spend so much money 
on this dog, but that was not mm-hmm. the case with Ema. Ema was in like a very precarious situation, and she was also not presented as being a someone who before this had been fairly affluent because she was able to adjust to everything so quickly. So I'm like, right. I don't know what that shorthand was supposed to be for, but it yeah, was really I don't weird. know. I think I think like the writers just said, hey, wouldn't it be funny if one of the dinosaurs was basically a dog? Yeah, and and I like you can make an argument for merchandising, but Earl wasn't cute. He he would not no. have made like a good cuddly toy. No, well the the movie seemed to like present him as cute because when they get to the the nesting grounds, there's that like very weird close up shot of him with his tongue hanging out. That I'm like, this yeah, is just kind still, of disturbing. He looks like a frog. He he yeah. does not look cute. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so I. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. If someone has a reason for like why they think Earl was in this movie, please let us know. Yeah, we're <laughs> tweet, we're it, tweet at us why Earl was in the movie Dinosaur and right. what your theories are. Right. But um, I will say I this: think... uh, despite Earl not being anthropomorphized like the other characters, he still was one of the playable characters in the Game Boy Color adaptation, or I guess movie tie-in game that I did have and played. Um, because you could play as uh, <laughs> Aladar, Ziggy, uh, Ema, uh, Baleen, and uh, Earl, if I remember Playing correctly. Playing as Ema and Baleen is a truly chaotic choice. Like, yeah. Did they just, like, nerf it? Like, I don't well, understand. Well, no. It was like, uh, like so it was just because they were different kinds of dinosaurs. They had different abilities. Okay. Like, like Baleen just like, or, uh, like... Uh, actually, I don't remember if you could play as Baleen, but you could play as Ema, I know for sure, and you'd like basically just headbutt stuff was your ability. Mm. Um, okay. Yeah, this this game was not good. <laughs> I, now that I, I remember could have back. But that. I did play it a lot. <laughs> That's fair. Gotta get that dino content in. Um, yeah. I did not know that there was a game, so thank you yes. for that tidbit. Yep, uh, game. it was for the Game Boy Color, came out the same year that the movie did. Wow. Uh, that was yeah that was the other thing because like disney loves their like merch tie-ins i'm like mm-hmm. all these dinosaurs like it's at a time where the, the computer animation wasn't bad but the stuff certainly wasn't cute yeah um well isn't that weird like toy story like you would never ever get a toy of andy because andy looks terrifying but like true. Woody but, and Buzz, they made look like moderately cute, I guess. Yeah, well, and that's why they loved that franchise so much is for the merchandising because all yep. the toys in the movie were actual toys you could buy. Yep. And also why Cars got two sequels that didn't need. Um, but and that's that's planes. a story for another time. Do you want to know another fun tie-in uh, for, to this movie? Oh, um, God, I do. Um, so I don't know if you're aware of this, but there is a ride, a dinosaur ride at Disney's Animal Kingdom in Orlando. Um, that came out two years before the movie did, and it was originally called Countdown to Extinction. But then in 2000, oh, when the movie came out, it was re- retitled to simply just be Dinosaur to tie in with the movie. And it does feature like car- the Carnotaurs as like the primary villain, and all the dinosaurs that primarily appear, appear in this uh, movie were the dinosaurs that are primarily featured in this ride. And it's a dark ride where like the uh, I've ridden it many times. It's actually one of my favorite rides at Disney. But um, it's well, uh, you it's going it's to a, Disney. Yeah, I'm so I, I, jealous. Yeah, it's it's a dark ride where the theme is like basically you're in these like time traveling cars that get sent back in time, 
as like a dinosaur tour type thing. But uh, in true Disney fashion, there is like a rogue employee that says, wouldn't it be fun if we send you right like right like moments before the meteor hits? And also so you can <laughs> steal an iguanodon and bring it back to the present. Um, so you go on this wild ride through a chaotic uh, dinosaur filled jungle while meteors are beginning to land and the guanadon at the end actually saves saves the car from a rock landing on you and mm. you bring it back to the present <laughs> that's pretty cool yeah it's it's a pretty fun ride uh it's it's kind of scary and frightening because as i said the carnotaurs are terrifying yeah. um and they have like big animatronic carnotaurs that actually roars and blows in your fucking face and shit. And mm. uh, it's 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 a it's a cool ride. But um, honestly, like that ride is better <laughs> than this movie, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, I I have never been to Disney. I want to go very very badly. But we I've never we been. need to change that as soon as it is safe to do so. <laughs> yeah, we gotta be responsible. But sure. um, but when it is safe to do so in like a couple of years, fingers crossed or whatever. D-roll trip to Disney. D-roll trip. Hell to Disney. yeah. <laughs> we, we will. What do the kids do? Do they vlog still? We'll vlog our trip to Disney. <laughs> yes, vlogs still are a thing. Okay, I'm, I'm never sure. <laughs> yeah, see, it changes I, all the time. What's yeah. what's the new weird made up internet word? We'll TikTok. Yeah, really. We'll TikTok our our trip to Disney. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> we'll thirst trap our trip to Disney. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, but on that note, I think that we've officially run out of things to talk about. So, so we will too. get into the last segment of our show, which is um, if we recommend the movie and also maybe like minor announcements about the show itself. Uh, so Nick, w- would you? So I think that in the past we've done, um, watch it, watch it if you want, and don't watch it. Okay. Um, I'd say watch it if you want. Um, yeah, if you are into dinosaurs, I think that you will get something out of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I said like if you if you have kids that are probably in that 10 to 12 age or, or actually i would i would venture like maybe 8 8 to 12 um i think that's like the ideal range uh because there are some you know, more intense moments but i think the the humor uh and the writing kind of caters for, to the, the lower young. end yeah. of that range um and i and like because that's that's the age range i was when i saw this movie for the first time and i liked it then um so i think i think it appeals well to that um i think i think any older like when you get into the teens i think they'll kind of eye roll most of it yeah um but uh i mean but watch it for yourself yeah sure yeah if you want yeah if you are an uh, adult or child who likes dinosaur movies mm-hmm. yeah you should watch it if you are uh if you are like a teenager, you're gonna think it was really weird, and if you don't like dinosaurs, you're gonna think it was really weird. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, but yeah, this was honestly one of the better movies. Like we kind of dunked on this movie, but this is one of the better movies we've watched for this show. I think there are a yeah. lot of parts that do hold up, and they hold up enough that we're able to kind of like philosophically speculate about the movie. Mm-hmm. Um. Because it is coherent. Because some movies that we watched are just like not coherent, even a little bit. But right, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so yeah, if, if you want to watch it, you can, um, for future episodes of this show, uh, we will, like I said at the beginning, we will be doing a, uh, a bunch of different streaming services. I'll have probably other guests throughout the season. Maybe Nick will come back and we'll watch the Jurassic Park movies. We'll, yeah, we'll I like dinosaurs. Yeah, hi, you hi, like my dinosaurs. my name is Nick. I like dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I know that uh, our friend Chelsea will be on an episode with me talking about the Schumacher Batman films, which I am very excited about. Um, Tom and I will also be doing the Mary-Kate and Ashley movies that are on Hulu, <laughs> and uh, we will also be doing Stargirl on Disney+, Plus. but the rest of the season is sort of like up in the air. Also, I don't think we said it at the beginning, this movie you can find on Disney+, Plus because it is, in fact, a Disney film. It's like their yep. 39th animated film or like something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Um, do you have any final pressing thoughts, Nicholas? Uh, I don't. Okay. Where can people find you? <laughs> Plug yourself again. Sure. Uh, you can follow me personally at Nick underscore Yurisiva on Twitter and uh, check out Tales of the Voidfarer at Pod on Twitter and at Podcast on Feastagram, Feastagram, Feastagram. on Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> They're owned by the same company now. So Facebook yeah. it is. All yeah, praise Mark Zuckerberg, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, you can find this show on social media on Twitter at Big Stream Pile or just search Big Streaming Pile on Facebook. Um, I am Fiona L.F. Kelly. You can find me at Fiona L.F. Kelly. Our other Project Derailed shows include Tales of the Void Fair, with, which Nick just mentioned, and yeah. uh, Fables Around the Table. <laughs> It's really hard to say because the, the words rhyme. Um, yes. And you can find that at Table Fables Pod on Twitter and Table Fables Podcast on Instagram and Facebook, or as Nick just coined it, Facegram. <laughs> I um, might I might be a thing. I might do that in all of the Voidfarer things now. Just saying, yeah. Facegram. <laughs> yeah, Facegram. I like it. Um, and we are in the second season of that show. Our friend Chelsea, who I mentioned just a couple minutes ago that will be on this show, is running our second season, Tainted Love, using Visigoss for Smellgoss. It is really fun. You should all listen. And uh, I think with that, we will end the episode. So, bye. Bye. Introducing Tales of the Voidfarer. Join the spacefaring adventures of a group of misfits in this D&D 5th edition podcast inspired by the 2nd edition setting, Spelljammer. My name's Marco Astorio. My character is a Gith Yankee. My character is a Doar. Adorable little penguin people. You're Ravnus, right? Yes, I, 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 and you are. I, it's a pleasure to meet you. My name's Luckby Cumble. My name is Captain Valeria Rain, and welcome aboard the Voidfarer. Luckbeak, Ravnus, come on! <laughs> There's so much to see over here! Catch new episodes of Tales of the Voidfarer every other Tuesday, wherever you get your podcast fix. <laughs> that's funny. Wait, did you just hmm? say that's funny and not laugh, Ravnus? We really have to work on your social skills. <laughs> As each day shrinks shorter and the nights grow colder, our souls prepare to darken along with the night sky. Four storytellers gather round the campfire. Each has a tale to tell. The counselors at Camp Marigold are trying to move on from the terrors of the previous summer. Will they escape from the clutches of the Lindworm? Three friends investigate a small town after their vehicle breaks down on their road trip. Will they survive its horrifying secret or succumb to devastation? A tale of mystical felines who watch over the children of the neighborhood. Will they be able to save them on All Hallows' Eve? 
When nightmares become indistinguishable from reality, where do the real horrors lie? Fables around the table. Firelight premieres October 7th, wherever you get your podcasts. ProjectDerailed.com